And I, I want to just show you some of the ways that God performs His miracles. And I, I'm gonna let you be seated. I don't have like a you know a, a text that we'll start out with because I'm gonna do the whole story. But I believe that God wants to speak to you and I, and He wants to move in our midst. The, the story or the illustration goes that there was a, a young man that went to a, a secular college and he's, he's in his college class and the liberal professor was doing his best to discredit the Bible and doing his best to just really uh, put doubt into the mind of those that professed that the word of God was unequivocally true. So they, they happened to get on this crossing of the Red Sea. The, the man had already made his, his stance shown that he believed that God had miraculously parted the waters and allowed them to cross on dry land. But the professor began to say, well, you know, son, you got your, your, your faith in the wrong thing. Because science and, and, and knowing how the, the changing tides and climates are, we've been able to understand that during that time and that the, 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 the background of this story that the Red Sea is not the Red Sea that you and I would know but instead it was probably more of a marsh or a very shallow place and we know that there's a, a certain time of the year that the tides will go out and you know it usually happens with a full moon and it will pull out way more water than is normal and and, and we also know that uh, you know, there, there's certain times of the year that the wind will blow and actually push the water out of that bay. And so really, son, uh, we can look back and say God didn't have a hand in this. The water during that time was only about a foot deep and, and the wind pushed a lot of it out of the bay along with a coinciding with a full moon that pulled a great tide out. And so really it was just a natural occurrence. Do you understand that? That young man smiled. He said, I can buy that. He said, but oh, what a God I serve. Professor said, I don't understand. I've just proven to you that what took place had nothing to do with God, but rather just natural circumstance. He said, no, no, no. I'm not worshiping God and giving him presence or praise because, uh, you know, naturally. I'm just amazed that God could allow one foot of water to drown an entire Egyptian army. He just made a way. It's amazing when you begin to look at these stories and if you're like me, when I read these historical accounts, I read them much like I'm reading a, a, a novel and not that I mean that they're not true, but if I go read, uh, we, we were moving some boxes uh, the other day, kind of going through a closet, going through some boxes I hadn't opened probably in 10 years it seemed and, and of course you know that's like a treasure hunt for me. Uh, you're like, oh, I haven't seen that. And, you know, I found, found an old, I've been looking for my, I have some antique fountain pens and I hadn't seen them in years. And I finally found them. That was kind of neat. And, you know, you start going, how many of you have ever done that and you start going through the old pictures? Yeah, so I, I started going through all my old pictures. But uh, I, I came across a couple boxes of books and Zane was looking in it. Uh, and, and Zane picked up one of my Tom Clancy books, Rainbow Six. And he goes, Dad, can I read that? I said, yeah. I said, that's one of my favorite books. And. If I'm going to read that, Tom Clancy, man, it plays out in my mind as if I was there or if I was watching a movie. It just plays. And as I, I do the same when I read uh, these historical accounts. I don't want them just to be a static story. I, I want to see it unfold. I want to see the action. I want to hear the sounds. And, and you begin to realize.
realize that after ten plagues and after that Passover and the death of the firstborn of all of, of Egypt that was not covered by the blood, they, they, Pharaoh says, please go, I don't want you anymore. And after some 430 years, Egypt kicks out the children of Israel. The same descendants of Abraham that were promised a land. The same descendants of Abraham that had found themselves after Joseph was sold into slavery and, and after Joseph's rise to second in command. Now this, these children of Israel for some 400 years that have existed most of that, that in slavery are, are ceremoniously kicked out of Egypt. It wasn't just, hey, leave, but they paid them to leave. They, I mean, their Egyptian neighbors were giving them gold and, and jewelry and anything and everything. And it comes into play later when they are building the tabernacle. Much of the plunder that they got from Egypt is what allowed them to make a 75-pound solid golden candlestick that was going to be in the, in, in the tabernacle and to do all of that. But they leave and... I can only imagine what a procession that was. They were excited. They were, they were ready. They had just seen God move ten different times, ten completely different ways. Sometimes the plagues went everywhere, and sometimes there was a very clear line of demarcation between the Egyptian lands and the land of Goshen. They had seen everything from water turning to blood to the firstborn of everyone dying that wasn't covered by the blood. Then they, they get there and... If you read especially, and if you want to follow along, you're more than welcome to. I'm going to be in, in uh, Exodus chapter uh, uh, 13. No, Exodus chapter 14, rather. And, and, and you have to understand that the Lord is guiding their steps. And the Lord tells Moses, lead them to this exact place. And they go, and there they're, they're, they're standing in, in, in front of the Red Sea, and from what I understand of the topography of that area, there are mountain ranges or at least large hills on either side. It's kind of a, a bottlenecked canyon, if you will, that, that it ends at the Red Sea. And, and they're there and everything is good. They're waiting to cross over. I don't know if they're wanting to build boats. I don't know if they're wanting to build bridges. I'm sure they're kind of wondering how we're going to do it. And then all of a sudden someone hollers from the back of that big crowd says, Hey, I see a cloud coming. Pharaoh's army is there because Pharaoh had changed his mind. Pharaoh and all of his army and all of his chariots come rumbling up behind them. And, and then as is prone for Israel to do, they begin to cry and they begin to worry and in fact, they go and beat down Moses' tent door and they say, Moses, was there not enough graves in Egypt that you're going to bring us out into the wilderness and we're going to die out here? And, and what's going on? And Moses does what all of us should do when you're faced with one of those impossible circumstances. You ought to pray and cry out to the Lord. And it's very interesting and it's a, I'm not going to give you every place in the Bible that this plays out, but... Uh, I'll give you a few first off I want to remind you to read the first part of, of chapter 14 because the first part of chapter 14 God tells Moses Moses I'm going to bring you here and I'm going to bring Pharaoh's army behind you so that I can utterly defeat them and I can do it basically God was telling Moses brother Miller I got this I don't want you to live the rest of your life wondering how far Pharaoh's army is behind you as you walk through the promised land and go into Canaan's. I want to destroy them until they can't follow you at all. 
But then later on in that, when they begin to cry out to God and say, Lord, what are we going to do? Moses gives the word of the Lord, uh, Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Stand firm and watch. Again, God says, I got this. Now, they tell me in psychology that that we kind of have two reactions to fear. You either flee or you fight. Now, there is a third reaction that not very many people have, and that is you just fall to the floor in a little crazy, you know, cuddled up fetal position and you just shake and I've, I've seen people but most of us have fear uh, flight or fear fight uh, if your house catches on fire you're going to do one of two things you're either going to run out of that house or you're going to try to put it out those of you a couple weeks ago you, you, you saw my, maybe saw on Facebook my, uh, my firefighting experience my firefighting experience is when your propane tank blows up underneath your, your, uh, your grill and it's shooting out a flame about six feet and, and, and you're just kind of sitting there trying to figure out how you can put that out, you get your cell phone and you take pictures of it while you have a water hose on it. Figure I ain't never going to see this till I could finally get Zane to run up to the boat, take the, tra- take the cover off the boat, find the extinguisher in the boat, because why we don't have one in the house, I'm not exactly sure, and uh, grab the extinguisher, run back, and then I can put it out. But, but you have that either fear, fear, flight, or fear, fight. Most of us are not going to sit there and let it burn us. And so when God says stand still, it flies in the face of our human nature. If the I saw a video yesterday. You know, this is the bad part about you know the internet and Facebook is you can waste a lot of time just finding little videos. It just takes you down these rabbit trails, but. I saw a video yesterday of a couple campers. They were, they, were, they were, I don't know where, obviously out west, and they were fishing and all of that. And a bear cub, that was, you know, not just a, just a tiny bear cub, but I mean, it was pretty big. When it stood up, it was about the size of me. And, and it, it was there, and it wouldn't leave them alone. And they just stood there. And that bear would, would rise up and put both paws on the back of their, their uh, 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 shoulders, and, and it would kind of give them hugs. And, and I'm telling you, they, they didn't know what to do. And, I don't know that I could be that calm if a bear that's the size of me is there. I know what they're capable of doing. But they didn't run. They just kind of stood there. It flies in the face of everything when a situation is there to stand still. But God says, this is what I want you to do. Just stand still. Because you and I, in our humanity and, and psyche that we have, We have a tendency to either run away, and here's the problem. If they would have ran away, they would have ran right into the arms of the Egyptian army. On the Egyptian army's turf, when the Egyptian army had the upper hand. And if they would have ran back, they would have been destroyed. But if they would have just bulled themselves, you know, just pushed themselves forward, they would have drowned it, or at least most of them would. I found something interesting. I love history, and, and, and every time that April 15th comes around, I'm reminded of the sinking of the Titanic in 1912. And I've preached messages about it. The, the, everything about the Titanic just screams it was doomed to fail. It was, it was built very quickly. 
They didn't give it a proper sea test. In fact, they only went 80 miles on its sea test. They didn't test it out. It was built with shoddy materials. It had a bad design that someone hadn't thought about. They didn't put the bulkheads all the way up to the top. And then when they get out there, they didn't listen to the warnings of all of the ice because there were other ships that were making that. And, and there's just so much I could go. But they, they, they recently, after about 100 years, they, they kind of came to the conclusion that all of it played a part in the seeking of the Titanic. But the number one reason for the loss of life was because it wasn't so much that a navigational error was at fault for colliding with that. It wasn't so much that they had ignored the warning per se. But it was revealed later the reason it sank so quickly was because J. Bruce Ismey, which was the ship's owner, insisted that they continue sailing when they should have just stayed still. Instead, it was because of their movement, even though the gash was in there, even though water was coming in, but it was because his insistence that we've got to make the clock, we've got to beat the clock. It was that uh, movement of the ship that they began to research it and put it together and realize that the ship sank hours faster than it should have. In fact, the great grand, or the, the granddaughter of the ship's second officer made this statement, if the Titanic would have just stood still, she would have survived at least until the rescue ship came and no one would have died. And it brings to my mind how many people have made rash decisions in the face of a tragedy that causes them when they lose their patience and they're not willing to let God take over and they're not willing to let God move and they just bulldog make their way through life and they sink when they could have saved themselves by just standing still. I've been told has nothing to do with spiritually. I've been told don't ever make a, a, a life-changing decision when you're mad. Don't ever make a life-changing decision when something's going crazy. Give it a moment. Breathe for a moment. They even say if you can discipline your kids, sometimes you got to go in the other room and take a breath for a moment. Just stand still for a second. Stand still. I talked to a pastor one day who said, who said, my greatest regret in my life is I resigned to church when I was mad. And I've regretted it ever since. He said, I got mad one night, wrote a resignation letter and packed it up and left. He said, I should have never done that. He said, I could have made it. But he said, I, I just stand still. Those children of Israel, so thankful that they listened to the Lord. They didn't always do that. But they stood still. Here comes Pharaoh's army. I'm sure those that were in the back, they were a little nervous and they kept crowding up, you know, closer and closer. But they stood still and they watched as Moses raised his staff. Now, we've seen the Ten Commandments. Some of you have seen Moses there at Sight and Sound Theater, uh, you know, in Branson. We've seen all of Hollywood's understanding of it. But, you know, it helps you if you'll read your Bible. Because Hollywood and even Sight and Sound, I love it, don't always get it right. The Bible says this, that the, 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 you know, there 
was a pillar of fire and a pillar of, of cloud that went before the children of Israel. And, and, and this is what it said. The angel of, the, of God that was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, uh, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming to the other all night. So it's more than just, you know, a, a snap of your fingers. God says, I want you to stand still for an entire night. And that cloud moved behind them. And Pharaoh was in complete darkness while Israel had some light. The Bible says that God caused a wind to blow all night long. <coughs> and it separated those waters. And again, the miracle is how all the waters receded and it became like concrete where some three million people could cross over and all of their animals and all of their, their you know, carts and all of that. And they go over. And as soon as they're on the other side, God lifted the veil and, and Pharaoh saw Israel on the other side. And so they did what any army would do. They took off running as fast as they could. But God changed the consistency of the ground. And the word of God says that their chariots became bogged down and their feet became bogged down. And it was them moving slower and slower and slower. And then God allowed those waters to come back. And it took all of Pharaoh's army. And it destroyed them, all because they stood still long enough for God to make a way. This is not the only place in the Word of God that we see this. And I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Second Chronicles chapter 20 because there's another way that God does this or another time that God says it. And it's, it's during the reign of King Jehoshaphat. It says in chapter 20 of Second Chronicles, that the Moabites and the Ammonites and some of the Munites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. And, and, and one of his, his men said, Jehoshaphat, you ought to see the battle array that is coming against us. And Jehoshaphat doesn't know what to do. In fact, the Bible says he is afraid. Jehoshaphat realizes that in the physical world, he doesn't have enough to defeat the enemy that's coming against him. And so in his fear, he sets his face to seek the Lord. In fact, he proclaims a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembles to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And the understanding is they came to the temple or the tabernacle and they stand there and they're waiting and there Jehoshaphat begins to pray. God, what am I going to do? I, I know that you said you'd never leave me nor forsake me. I know that you said uh, uh, you'll take care of it. I, I realize there's verses in the Bible that says greater is he that is with me than he that's in this world. But you got to understand, Lord, the physical is this. We aren't big enough, powerful enough, strong enough to defeat this arrayed battle group that's coming against us. What am I going to do? If you'll take some notes after Jehoshaphat's prayer. I kind of like the way he prays. He stood there in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the court and he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven and rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? In your hand is power and might that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to its descendants of Abraham, your friend? 
and they've lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name and they said if disaster comes upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and we will cry out to you in our infliction and you will hear and you will save. Side note, when you get involved in a circumstance that you don't have an answer for, What's your first response? The first response of Jehoshaphat was to remember what God has done. If I didn't have the word of God, if I had no personal experiences with the miraculous work of Jesus Christ, I would have to tell you it would be a little hard for me to pray the way I pray now. But because I believe his word is true and because I have seen him at work in my life and I have seen him in work in your life, it allows me to come to his presence and say, God, I have a situation and while I don't know the answer to it, I know you've never been surprised by anything that's come my way before. But I like what he said. Lord, we've lived by any time... A, a, a disaster, a sword, a judgment, a pestilence, or famine. Any time that that's come our way, we come and we stand before the house of God, and we know because that's where you dwell, and we stand there and we cry out in our affliction. And Lord, even when we weren't living for you in the book of Judges, even when every man was doing right in his own eyes, even when we were in a downward spiral of debauchery and sin, even then in our affliction, when we would get to the place where we would remember you we would come to the tabernacle and we would cry out to you and you would hear our cry and you would deliver us and so God I'm in another pickle and I need your help he said in fact Lord these men of Ammon and Moab it's not really fair because when we came out of Egypt and we walked through their territory you told Moses and his people not to destroy Ammon and Moab that they were kind of our half brothers if you will and you told us that we weren't to mess with them and now look how they're repaying us what are we going to do we're powerless against this great horde verse 12 says we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you if I could give somebody a hope for today, I would tell you this, that when you don't know what to do or when you know you can't do it on your own, where are you looking? Are you looking at the problem? Are you looking at the circumstance? Are you looking at the fear? Are you looking at the failure? Or is your eyes fixed on the God that can help you out of it? So Judah stands there before the Lord. It's families that are gathered. It's husbands and wives and moms and dads. The Bible says it has their little ones there. And they're standing there. And they're waiting for an issue. They're standing there waiting saying, what am I going to do? I've had these moments in my life and I know you have too. You've prayed. And God didn't move right then. Boom. Now, there have been some moments that God has been instantaneous 
in his miracle and in his, I, I've seen it. I mean, I have, I have prayed for, for people. I have seen others pray, and, and, the, and the answer is instantaneous. But Brother Keith, I will tell you, and you and I have had lots of conversation. Most of the time in my life, it's not a boom, there you go. In fact, sometimes I've come to this altar and I've let tears run down my face and I've said, God, what am I going to do? I need you. I'm looking at you. I'm waiting. Key word. I'm waiting. And all of a sudden, in that holy expectation of the assembled people of Judah around the sanctuary of God, while they stood there with their families, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, and it keeps going. And what it's doing is it, it, it goes all the way back to saying he's a Levite. What it meant was he was a priest. He was somebody that had spent time in the presence of God. And the Lord begins to speak to him. And that man under the influence of God begins to say, and this is what he says, Listen all of Judah. This is verse 15 of chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Now I'm going to separate this. I've prayed. I've said, Lord, please, please let me say the right thing so that I can get this across. If your battle is because of your sin, it's not God's battle help you out if you're in the, the, the trouble and the predicament that you're in because of your disobedience or rebellion of God's word then don't expect God to snap his fingers and fix it you're going to have to find a place of repentance you're going to have to find a place of contrition you're going to have to step to that altar and that washing of the laver and you're going to have to get yourself back into a relationship with God so that he can move on your behalf but I'm not talking about that rebellion I'm talking about things in your life that's not your fault things in your life that's not because of your sin and your standing there listen do you realize the privilege you have when God says I'll let you look at that problem and say this is not my problem this is God's problem I don't know how to say it any bigger and better than that. But can you imagine if, if, if you're making minimum wage and suddenly you've got a million dollar bill that's handed to you? That's a problem. In fact, I'd say for all of us, whether you're making minimum wage or not, that's a problem. But I could go hand that million dollar bill to Mr. Musk or Mr. Trump or, 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 or uh, the Jeff, the Bevos or whatever, you know, for Amazon. I can hand it to them. It's not a problem. Can you imagine the privilege that you have for you to say, Lord, the situation I'm in, the circumstance that I'm in, and it's not my fault, Lord. That's the key. It's not my fault. The trial, the test is coming. But the battle is not yours, but it's the Lord's. The battle is not yours, it's the Lord. And with that statement, the anxiety should leave you and be placed on him. The burden leaves you placed on him. So then God says, tomorrow you'll go down against them. 
Behold, they'll come up the ascent of Ziz. You'll find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. And see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Oh, Judah and Israel, or Judah and Jerusalem, be not afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. And so they put the armor on. And they got in their battle lines in their array. And they marched down there and they stood. Battle was very different back then than it is in, in our today. Now all of our battles are fought from a distance. In fact, there are battles that are fought that our soldiers are never even on the territory they're fighting against. They can be in some uh, 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 army base or navy base or air force base flying drones from the United States and fighting battles over in the Middle East and areas like that. But that's not how it was back then. You had to face your foe pretty close. And Israel stands on one side of that valley. And Moab and Ammon and the rest of that was on the other side of that valley. And they were there. They went out that morning and when they went into the wilderness, Jehoshaphat hollered and said, Hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. If you'll believe in the Lord your God, you'll be established. Believe in the prophets, the word that you heard, and you will succeed. And then he said, you know what? Tell you what. I believe so much in what we just heard from the Lord. I don't want you to, I'm not going to put my best warrior forward. I'm going to put my best worshiper forward. And so he got them ready. They put on holy attire and they went before the army and they begin to say, I'm giving thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. I'm giving thanks to the Lord because the battle's not mine. I got a little bit different spring in my step. I'm not worried about who I'm going to have to fight or kill. The Lord, I don't know how he's going to do it, but it's his problem now. But I'm going to worship him anyway. Bless the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Bless the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And they begin to sing and they begin to praise and the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir and they were routed in fact they fought each other until they destroyed everyone and when Judah finally got to the battleground it was already done bodies were already dead the blood had already been spilled. In fact, as it was customary after every battle, they went to pick up the plunder. They wanted the weapons. They wanted the armor. They wanted everything they could get. And the plunder was too big for them to carry home. And God steps back and says, I told you, I got this. All you needed to do was learn to stand still and let the presence of God be there. 1 Samuel, it might be a little bit different uh, exegesis of it, but if I could just pull out this one verse, 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 16 says, Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. That's kind of what I want to tell you today. Learn to stand still and watch what the Lord wants to do for you. The old song begins to come to mind as musicians begin to come. Not that they have to sing this one, but I begin to think about those that old hymn that says, I'm standing on the promises of Christ my King. 
Through the eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory to the highest, I will shout and sing. I'm standing on the promises of God. I'm standing, I'm standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. If I stand on the promises, I cannot fall. I listen to every moment of the Savior's call. I'm resting in my Savior as my all in all. I'm standing on the promises of God. Isaiah said it this way. Isaiah chapter 40. It says, I mean, there, there's a, you just have to look through it all. There's a lot of things it talks about, but it says the, the youth they're going to faint and be weary the young men are going to fall exhausted but they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength they'll mount up with wings as eagles they'll run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint stand still and see the salvation of the Lord and I'm reminded as I begin to flip through the pages and I leave the Old Testament and I enter the New. Just as we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, how they fought that battle. They were armored up. They were arrayed in battle. But he told them, just stand still. And Paul gives that same advice. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. Or what the English Standard Version says, when you've done all you can do, stand firm. Stand therefore having your belt fastened with the belt of truth. With your put on the breastplate of righteousness, your shoes, the readiness given to you by the gospel of peace. Put on the circumstance, or in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Stand fast because the battle's not yours but it's the Lord's. I wonder if you could stand today with me. I know it's hard in the face of that onslaught. I know it's hard to just kind of stand there. It's hard to even come to church and say, God, what, what am I going to do with all of this? And, and it's hard to come to an altar and pray your mind says you need to be doing this. Your, 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 your logic, your human reasoning says you need to do this. If, if, you just, if you just kind of forget about God a little bit, you could do more. If you, if you don't come to church, you could get maybe a, a pick up another shift at work. And I know you're going through some financial troubles. Why don't you not pay your tithes? And God will help you out. And your brain says all of these things. Fight, 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 fight. God says, why don't you give it to me? And let me fight the battle. And why don't you just stand still? Stand still. Stand still. 
there's a theme, a thread through the Bible that God understands the, the craziness of this world we live in and the noise and all of the, the, the distractions. And, and so God on purpose uses words like wait, patient, stand, listen, still small voice of God because He's trying to calm you in the midst of your problem. And He wants you to hear Him more than the noise of what's coming against you. I know Ammon and Moab and, and, and others, they're marching and you can hear the footsteps and you can hear the armor clanking and you can hear the siege equipment rolling and you can hear the horses neighing and all of that. I realize how loud it is out there. There's a God that's saying, just trust me. Just trust me. Wait on the Lord and He'll renew your strength. The battle's not yours, but it's the Lord's. But the good news is, the Bible says when he's done fighting, he'll let you pick up the spoils. I wonder if you could lift your hands right now. I've preached what I can do. Now let the word of God speak to you on a personal level. Father, I'm asking right now that the word of God that we have heard, Lord, we've heard it with our ears, but God, don't let it stop right there, but let it get into the mind. Let it get into our psyche. And Lord, let it get down into our heart and our soul. God.